hello everyone and welcome to another film music media uh, interview i'm speaking with emmy nominated music supervisor uh, jasper leak jasper worked on the documentary keep on keeping on where he built a relationship with director alan hicks uh, rashida jones and quincy jones himself and is now uh, an emmy winning or no sorry emmy nominated not yet we're not to get ahead of ourselves emmy nominated oh for, <laughs> for his uh, music supervision on the netflix documentary quincy which has of course garnered amazing reviews uh, uh jasper thanks so much for uh, taking the time to chat today thank you so much for having me um so to start i'd love to learn more about where your uh, passion for music and storytelling started and at what point did that kind of materialize into uh, a career sure uh well the short answer is from a very young age i was born into an artistic family my dad was a cartoonist and an illustrator and a painter in australia and um his two siblings were both uh have worked in music their whole lives and um their mother my grandmother was a piano teacher so i was sort of born into a very uh creative environment where music and art was really sort of encouraged and nurtured um and um yeah i i sort of developed a i mean i started playing piano really young probably when i was about six or so um but i i'd say i really developed a passion for music when i was about 10 Mm-hmm. Um, when I discovered jazz music for the first time. Um, and it was just sort of a, one of those moments where just something happened. Um, I don't quite know how to describe <laughs> it, but I just remember being, I, I, I actually remember it very clearly. I remember my mother was uh, vacuuming our apartment and I was just sort of sitting around, um, sitting around the living room and just leafing through some of my dad's LPs. And, um, you know, at that age, you sort of gravitate to ones that you think look cool. Right. And um, I, th- I thought Kind of Blue by Miles Davis looked pretty cool. And I remember putting that on and just sort of being completely, uh, well, I guess blown away would be the best way to say it, but just sort of completely blown away by that record. And that really started a fascination with jazz specifically, but music in general. And um, I ended up uh, going to a music high school in Sydney called the Conservatory of Music and was quite serious about it from a young age, practiced a lot and, uh, pursued a career in performance first and foremost, and which led to a lot of touring. Um, but then, oh, sorry. Um, but since moving to LA, um, the focus for me had sort of shifted away from touring, moved more into songwriting and production, and mm-hmm. then through a different sort of a very set of circumstances led to my involvement in some film projects um, and Quincy being the most recent one. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you definitely met director Alan Hicks, uh, I guess, when you were when you're working on Keep On Keeping On. Is that correct? We actually met a long time before that. Um, okay. Al, I grew up in Sydney, and Al grew up in Wollongong, which is an hour of a, a coastal town, an hour and a half south of Sydney. And um, I was actually playing at a music camp that Al was attending back when we were both in high school. Uh, so our relationship goes back to when we were both, I mean, I don't think we would have been more than a, we probably were about 16 or 17. Wow. And yeah, and Al himself is a really talented drummer. And um, he lived in New Jersey for a long time and studied at William Patterson University when I was living in New York and studying in the musical university. We used to play together. We used to, you know, we've been close friends for a long time. And then um, as his career evolved, um, I was somebody who he continued to involve in his projects. Um, so with Keep On uh, Keep On Keeping On, 
I wrote the temp score for that. And then when he had the idea to um, essentially have no original score in Quincy and score the documentary only using music from Quincy's pre-existing catalogue, then that turned into a job for me as music supervisor. Absolutely. So once you started working uh, on Quincy, um, what were, I guess, those initial discussions? I mean, you, uh, Alan Cote uh, directed with Rashida Jones, of course, Quincy's uh, daughter, uh, and of course, a very uh, famous actress, but um, they co-directed the documentary together. So what kind of role were you meant to play in helping shape the documentary? And what were those kind of first conversations about? Uh, it all started with an idea that Alan Rashida had come up with, which was um, which was the idea, like I said, to not have any original score and to only draw on music from Quincy's pre-existing catalogue to score the documentary. Um, I thought that was a really great idea from the beginning, just because obviously music is such a massive part of who Quincy is. Um, I thought, you know, what better way to sort of complete the picture of who Quincy is as a person for, as a subject, sorry, to audiences who are going to be watching the documentary. Um, so yeah, that was, that was basically how it started. Just sort of, I was, I really supported that idea. I thought it was a great idea right from the beginning. And then Al said, okay, great. Well then, you know, come on board. And, um, we need you to listen to Quincy's entire discography. Uh, and then, and then, and then sort of be on hand to advise for when Al and Rashida moved into the editing process. Um, so I was handed a hard drive, uh, when I first came on board. And um, Al and I had a lot of conversations just about trying to sort of preempt what sort of conversations we might have when they started to edit, um, certain things that they might specifically request, um, and then what the most efficient way would be to find those to, to sort of help in situations like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we spent a lot of time just sort of establishing uh, the language, I guess, that we would end up using um, throughout the editing process. And then I just jumped headfirst into the catalogue and um, started back in the 50s and just listened chronologically through everything that Quincy has ever done, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> close to 3,000 songs. Wow. Um, yeah. But for me, there was just that was the only way to do it. There's just no way I would have taken any shortcuts um, with a job like this, you know, it obviously comes with a huge amount of responsibility and, you know, just Quincy as a, as a figure is somebody that I've, I, I'm sure with a lot of your listeners are just completely in awe of. And, um, for me to take on that job, I thought, well, the only way I'm going to get comfortable with this is if I, is if I sort of, you know, sort of can legitimately say that I am across his entire catalog. And so, yeah. That that really was that really was the first first thing I wanted to do, and um, I mean I've sort of said it before, but I think that was I really did pinch myself on some of those days, and I'm just thinking, you know, I'm sitting here getting paid to listen to this incredible music. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know, it's one of the best, one easily one of the best jobs I've ever had. Absolutely. So I mean, when you start yeah. approaching that, when you start listening through that disc- discography and the whole his entire body of work are you taking notes are you like picking up on things that you're like oh this could this could be for something i mean are you just kind of just taking it all in and then you just you go back and kind of find things like kind of what is the approach i guess to start you have this whole this whole you know bank of material what how do you start kind of i guess sorting it sure right right as, as i went through i was sorting everything so i created a google spreadsheet 
and um, I would isolate every little bit of music that I thought, well, you know, some some was just things that I loved, mm-hmm. um, but I would isolate things that I could sort of anticipate coming in, in handy um, during the editing process. So I would... Um, Every track was assigned a number, a log number, so that they were sort of searchable in a hard drive. Um, and then I would sort of input all of the, you know, the basic information of a track, so the artist, um, the title of the song, the amount of time that a particular section went for that I thought could be great for when they moved into the editing process, uh, the decade in which it was recorded, the style in which it was recorded, but also then would tag everything with a, with a lot of descriptors um, descriptors that were related to mood or um, descriptors that were related to feeling. Um, and so basically, by the time I worked through the whole catalog, um, it was, you know, I sort of took it into the office and sat down with Alan. You know, he just tested a few things and said, okay, let's say we're cutting a scene. Um, it's set in the 50s, it's black and white. We want something really upbeat, um, bluesy, um, and gritty. And I could then put those words into this document and it would filter out all of the tracks that didn't fit that criteria. Um, and so then I had a short list to start working with and listening to. And, and then I would be able to kind of, you know, sit there for a while and then cull all of the things that I didn't quite think were working mm-hmm. and uh, usually give Alan Rashida a list of anywhere between five and ten songs that I thought had good potential for a scene. Um, and honestly, sometimes the hardest uh, part of that process was just choosing the best thing out of so many great options. Um, right, yeah. It's like, because, <laughs> I mean, it is just, I mean, his, his discography is just full of just such, such incredible stuff um, that sometimes it was like, well, you know, we've got this incredible option, we've got that incredible option, uh, you know, and... Yeah, so some, that that was a really fun part of the process. Now, um, you know, the the title of music supervisor. I mean, I'm a lot of uh, my guests have been composers, but and listeners might be you know accustomed to listening to composers. But to hear from a music supervisor and kind of taking your point of view, I think the 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 job of a music supervisor is getting more in the spotlight. We have the guild now, and and seeing the importance of it. And even though you weren't working with a composer on this film, I guess how would you describe? the uh what is like if the if you had to put a job description you know on like uh, on the internet what would a music supervisor's job description be um it's a really good question and i'm not quite sure that i'm sort of super qualified to answer just because this was actually the first time that i did it and i feel right. like yeah. my partic- my particular experience as a music supervisor was was a unique one um but from what i understand after speaking with other music supervisors sometimes um certain music supervisors take on a more sort of uh, logistical role, um, you know, handling um, sort of different different situations uh, where music is being re-recorded. And I mean, there was a small component of that involved with Quincy. Um, but yeah, I think it changes project to project. I, in a, in a lot of ways, tried to think like a composer um, working on this documentary because you know, I, 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 one one concern that I had was that I just didn't want to feel like because we were drawing on so much music, um, you know, that was written in so many different styles and written across such a, a big amount of time. Um, I was a little nervous that we wouldn't be able to have the continuity that you might get 
um, with a documentary using more original score. Um, so I really did try to pay attention to themes and try to repeat certain themes or at least repeat certain, certain sort of musical moments throughout the documentary um, across different styles. Um, so I was sort of paying attention to things like instrumentation and tone color and, and motif and things like that um, through the process. And I feel like that is sort of ultimately what made it what made it successful um, was just that extra bit of consideration and that extra little bit of work. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I, I don't know, I haven't really spoken to other people's point of views, but I don't want people to get the idea that it's like, you know, so it doesn't feel like somebody's just taking like a Spotify playlist and just like, you know, putting on there. There's so much work that goes into it and you're literally almost shaping, you have to shape a narrative out of this, especially in this, in this instance. Yeah, this is a unique instance because you don't have original score to work with, so you are shaping the narrative with these songs. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I mean, I think that, um, yeah, it's certainly not a Spotify playlist situation. It's just, it, I mean, the, the level of research was pretty in-depth. Um, and then, you know, you have to you have to get quite creative sometimes. Um, there, was a, there was a small amount of audio editing involved for me as well. Um, there were instances where, you know, we had a cue that we loved and the section of the queue that we love might have, you know, run for a minute and 20, but the scene was a minute 35. So we'd have to kind of, there were a couple of instances where we would create small loop points or, mm. you know, do whatever audio editing was necessary to make some sort of, you know, nip and tuck at an existing track to work perfectly with the scene. Um, so yeah, that there was also a huge amount of uh, clearance, uh, sort of paperwork involved. And oh, I, I had some help. I had some help with that part of the process with um, an amazing woman called Nancy Stern who helped us clear 70 cues for the documentary. <laughs> wow. um, she, yeah, she was just, a, a you know, I, I honestly don't think I could have done it without her. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that I'm not sure if that gives you a better, better idea of, of oh, you know, yeah, what, what the title involved. But, yeah, that was, it, it was a lot of work. I mean, all, all in all, I think I was working on it for about 18 months. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. did you get did you get to meet Quincy and and uh, did you get his feedback at all? I did. Um, I've, I met I had met Quincy a couple of times before I came on board, um, mm. but throughout the documentary, Quincy um, Quincy wasn't a part of the process whatsoever. Um, right. So he Quincy saw it for the first time when it was done, and he. Uh, I, I wasn't there. I don't think I could have handled it. I would have been too nervous. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty uh, daunting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't even imagine. But um, but Alan Rashida was there, and Al was just saying, you know, 10, 15 minutes in, he already laughed, he cried, and you know, he he absolutely loves it. So I mean, getting his endorsement means everything, of course. Yeah. Um, but then also getting some really good feedback from the rest of the family. Rashida was. You know, I always felt very trusted um, by her. And then also, um, you know, I had some nice comments from Sonny Levine, who's a great musician and grandson of Quincy's, who's very, very familiar with his grandfather's discography. Um, so kind of getting the thumbs up from him meant, meant a lot as well. Um, in some ways, it really meant the most, you know, like this, this nomination is super, super exciting. And, you know, I feel very honored. Um, but just getting that, getting that approval from the family and from Quincy was, you know, I don't, I don't know if it can get much better than that. 
Yeah, I mean, congratulations to I mean to have your first music supervising job and be nominated for it. It's a well-deserved nomination. I mean, the the the, the doc is beautifully put together and it flows amazingly. And I mean, the reviews speak for themselves and people's reactions. I think it's 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 fantastic. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. So, kind of looking forward, uh, I know this was kind of your first music supervision project. Uh, do you want to continue doing more of this uh, type of stuff, or do you want to explore composing? What's kind of like the, I guess, the game plan for for moving forward? It's both. Um, I mean, I've from as young as I can remember. I think, I think, um, you know, inadvertently, I've always been involved in music supervision. You know, just by mm. just by, you know, I used to save up my pocket money and go and buy a CD every month with my pocket money and, you know, like collecting music and absorbing music and being across a lot of different kinds of music um, has just always been such a big part of my life. And, you know, whether I realize it or not, there is just this massive database of music in my brain. And so being able to draw on that um, and, you know, be a sort of a, be an asset um, for different filmmakers is something that at least in my experience so far, was very natural and something that I just really enjoyed. Um, so I'd love to continue doing more. And then um, I have also just started working um, on a film score in a in the capacity of composer uh, teaming up with Justin Coughlin on a documentary that on a separate documentary that I was working on at the moment, um, which is really really nice to sort of step into that space. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I would say both. I'd love to keep doing, pushing the music supervision forward. And uh, through this experience, I've been able to meet some people in that industry and then, but also keep composing, keep songwriting, keep producing as well. Well, that's, that's amazing. And, uh, uh, Jasper, thank you so much for, for speaking today and, and giving us a little look inside the, your process and your approach and congratulations again on the nomination, uh, best of luck at the Emmys and, um, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.